Welcome back, everybody, to the Jersey Ghouls, episode two. Dos. Dos. I am Jackie. And I'm Marissa. And today, we're basically going to... It's the culmination of our 31 days of horror. That's right. And we decided to go big for Halloween. We are going to do this podcast. We're going to speak all about this movie and call us cliche. But hey, it's our first year doing this. We're going to talk about... It's like a 1950s uh, (laughs) radio Radio show. show. I'm going to make my own sound effects. We're talking about... Halloween. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to say that I think that this is the best movie. No. Of, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. No, we really didn't do our list kind of in order of best to worst, no. per se. We just, we went with it. We went with what we wanted to do. So, yeah. So, tonight, happy Halloween to all of you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so, yeah. We're going to dive into 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween. So, the first thing I want to do is kind of give a little background onto this one because it was definitely a low-budget movie. This was made with only $200,000. Wow. Yeah. To, and, and considering that, I think they did a lot for the money they had. Um, they also... I don't know that, that John Carpenter was thrilled with the notion of doing a horror movie to begin with. I think that he just saw it as a good way to kind of get himself out there. And on the riding the coattails of Black Christmas, they made this indie film in three short weeks, filmed in California and using mostly Steadicam, which was still new at the time. And a legend was born. Yeah, It opened to terrible reviews. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They and, and most commonly, the biggest complaint was that it was not scary. Okay. Mm, I'm going to disagree. Yeah, no, I'm me too. I'm going to disagree. Well, you know what? Because having rewatched it very recently for this podcast, I, you know, I, I've seen it a bunch of times, but I wanted to, you know, make it fresh in my mind. There, there are plenty of moments that are just downright creepy. There is a moment in the movie that... When I rewatched it, you know, a couple nights ago, chills, like absolute chills. It is the scariest moment for me. What scene is that? This is okay. So after Lori has discovered all of her friends in the bedroom, they're all dead. Right. She, you know, legitimately freaks out. She goes out into the hallway. She's trying to collect herself. You know, what the heck is going on? They're all dead. And she leans up against an open door. Like there's a, you know, she's kind of leaning up against the door and the door behind her, the room is dark. Oh, I know exactly. Well, then just very slowly, Michael approaches and you just start to see the white mask materialize. I didn't realize how scary that was until the recent rewatch. And I, I mean, I got chill. I was like, I was legitimately scared. Like he just literally just appears out of thin air. Still, that moment of just all you see, it's a dark room. And then the white mask just slowly material. It looks like it's just materializing and then becomes very clear. And he's right there. And that moment gets me. Uh, One of the things that I really love is that so many of these scary moments are absolutely low budge and independent in their nature. For example, the moment that always scares me is the moment where they pull up and in the dark, you see the white of all of the hospital gowns as they're like walking around in the rain because they've been let free by Michael. Right. Um, And we can talk about where and how he learned how to drive later. Yeah. um, (laughs) So this film was already originally entitled The Babysitter Murders. And they thought that, you know, they were like, hey, you know what would make us lots of money? Calling it Halloween. And... Yeah. Zoning in on a holiday for marketing. Um, and there's there's the old, it was supposed to take place in Haddonfield, New Jersey, 
which is true, which is part yeah. of the reason why it's so perfect that the Jersey Ghouls are covering this one. So let's start with the opening credits. Something so simplistic. You have this ridiculously haunting melody. I so want to try and do it right now, but I'll resist. <laughs> I don't want to get sued. That's true. Let's not, let's not copyright infringe. The opening credits, you could not get more simplistic. You have this haunting melody playing in the background, and there is a jack-o'-lantern over there that the camera is very slowly, you know, zooming, zooming in. into as the credits are rolling. And, you know, here are the actors, here's the producer, here's the director, and it's just getting closer and closer and closer to this jack-o'-lantern. And I think it works on many levels. First of all, interesting fact, John Carpenter scored this movie himself. The entire movie? The entire movie. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, he created the... De -de 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 -de, and he said that it was basically just a cheap option. He didn't want to pay for music. Yeah. So he said, forget it. I'll do it myself. And he liked it because it was cheap, easy, and fast. And I think it also plays with the idea of Halloween. Because what more iconic symbol of the holiday than the jack-o'-lantern? Yeah. So I think it's a good marketing scheme to kind of engulf you in the horror Halloween-y mood. Exactly. So we break through the pumpkin, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, opening scene. Oh, the opening scene. One of my favorites from this movie. Yeah. So from an unknown vantage point, we are looking through the eyes of someone. Right. And, and this person is, is a voyeur, dare I say. Yeah. To this couple on the couch. Yeah, seeing, what is it? He's outside first because he's yep. looking in through the windows. I gotta be honest. I think that John Carpenter stole a little bit of this from Black Christmas because if you watch the opening of Black Christmas, you see the exact same thing where it's one steady cam shot that goes all the way up and into the house. And this was interestingly also shot as one long mm -hmm. shot, which I think really adds to the overall ambiance of it. And I love the first person point of view because you are Michael yeah. in this moment. Yeah, exactly. So take, go ahead, I, I, I cut you off. That's okay. I apologize. So he's, you know, as you had said, he is being a voyeur. He's seeing these, you know, these two people fool around. Two teenagers. They're doing the hibbity-dibbity. Doing the things teenagers do, God. So the scene is a continuous shot. He's around the house. You know, we see the gentleman leave the home after a very brief encounter <laughs> yeah i mean this might be the quickest quickie ever on film yeah and it's not on film but it's <laughs> on film but it, it they go upstairs and within i'd say one minute yeah they're done they're done and i can't decide if that's a good for them or a come on dude you can do better yeah. i don't know it depends on your perspective uh, who knows anyway so this kid leaves and i always i always thought the scene's really interesting because michael's sister from upstairs is like you're gonna call me right and the guy's like yeah Dude, he's not going to call. No. I got to be honest. He's no. not going to call. But being a feminist, I refuse to judge her. Maybe that's okay with her. Maybe she doesn't care. Yeah. I refuse. I, I feel like the sister always gets labeled like she gets like slut shamed. Yeah. Well, and it's just typical of our society. Just because the girl likes to get down on a Halloween night yeah. quickly and efficiently. Sex feels good. <laughs> doesn't mean <laughs> that she gets yeah. to be the bad guy. Yeah. 
But anywho, anywho, our character finds a little clown mask. Yes, and he does. darned if this clown mask isn't the most phallic thing I have ever seen in my life. Like, we're, they must have went to the store and been like, can you give us a mask that pretty much it looks exactly like male genitalia? Well, and you know what? Not to read terribly into too many things, just the simple act of stabbing his sister with a knife repeatedly you know there's there's, there's a, a giant phallic, phallic right? that where i'm penetrating you with this object of mine and yeah so he goes upstairs he finds the mask he puts it on we're now watching through the mask and he does he stabs her repeatedly and interestingly if you notice this is my my geeky note he turns away from the body as he stabs her he like turns his head and we see the knife going up and down and it's almost as if he like doesn't want to watch himself commit this very first crime which i found i thought was a fascinating choice for this for this particular scene um and how interesting to have it be a small child like that was such yeah, a good shock yeah that's b- the big reveal of the opening scene is again we're at the we're of his perspective and then the perspective changes and mommy and daddy come home they rip the mask off and it's a small child revealed in a clown costume holding a bloody knife. That scene where the father rips off the mask and they're like, Michael, I love how it kind of freezes and it's almost like a painting, like the American image gone wrong. And I love how this film takes the suburbs, which are like the cozy post, you know, Cold War safe haven, and they turn it on its on its head and they make the boogeyman come to the burbs. That's what I would have named this film. <laughs> the boogeyman comes to the burbs. They should have asked me. They should um, have. I wasn't alive yet, but they should have. That's fine. So, um, because I think that that moment where they kind of freeze on Michael with the knife and these two parents who don't even look all that upset, I gotta be honest. Yeah, your child is standing there with a bloody kitchen knife. Yeah. And you're just like, what are you Michael. doing? That crazy yeah. kooky You kid. got into the cookies again. Why did you stab jelly? Like, yeah, they, they really, like, it, it does. It ends on this tableau of yes. Michael standing with the knife held up and, you know, they've ripped the mask off and they're just it's almost like a freeze frame. It is. As the, the camera is zooming out. I think that they, they he does this in his opening scene in order to just really affirm the idea that nothing is safe anymore. The boogeyman's here and he's going to get you. One of the questions I'm fascinated with is why does young Michael Myers kill his sister on that Halloween so many, many years ago? I mean, you can point it to the the typical horror movie theme of sex is bad. And if you have premarital sex, then you deserve to die. Like yeah, you're like a bad girl. Like an Oedipal thing. Yeah, like he you, like kills her. You are bad. You're not her. supposed to be doing this. But on the other hand, especially you know after viewing the movie, and you see the kind of person Michael is. Michael's reasoning, he's crazy. You know, Michael is. Mm. You know, he has no emotion yeah he's he's it's just sociopathic sociopathic psychotic breakdown like there must be so much internal stimuli going on inside his brain that is there a reason that michael killed his sister there might not be you know it could be something as psychotic as she has blonde hair i Mm. have blonde hair there can only be one person with blonde i don't know and i think that is proven in the way that you know his very slow walk you know, his... and like the way I love the way he like like will like tilt his head 
Yeah. And like, he, it's like he's trying to figure things out around him. Like, it's like he's he does not process yeah. the world the way that well, like. And you know what? That's a nod to let's give that one to the actor who portrays him. Because when you have a mask fully covering your face, the face, uh, you know, yeah, that's yeah, where yeah, all your right. emotion comes from. You know, I, I yeah, am like uh, a graduate with a background in theater. Oh. So I will say that, you know, you emote from your face a lot. And when your face... Don't insult me like that. <laughs> when your face is entirely covered, you have to find other ways, other uh, other body language to emote. And I do like your thinking along the lines of that's how he shows emotion, be it confusion, be it he's trying to figure something out or, you know, there are, you know, those in, in future Halloween movies when he seemingly has a tender moment or a connection with someone, even very fleeting, you know, it's that tilt of the head. Right. Like, it's that's, like a, and it's almost childlike. Yes. Yeah, like that's how he emotes. And I think, I think you just like saying emotes. I do. It makes me feel smart. <laughs> as it should, as it should. And I think we really don't, feel comfortable as an audience with how little we get inside his head. I think we, by instinct, want backstory. We want reason. We want motive. We want something that explains it and puts it all into a perspective we can grasp. And I think that's why they call him the boogeyman, because we don't get that satisfaction. We don't get to know why he does what he does. We don't ever get to really wrap our brains around what drives him to do this. He just becomes this this figure of, of, as Loomis would say, pure evil, you know? And I think that it's fascinating because it really forces us to just acknowledge that sometimes the evil's there and you don't get to know why. So talking about the setting of this movie, as we kind of mentioned before, it is set in small town America, a classic little suburban place. And John Carpenter himself actually said that everything he ever learned about evil, he learned in the small town he grew up in, <laughs> which... Boy, if, if Twin Peaks taught me anything about life, it was that that is true. Yeah. There is a seedy underbelly to the burbs. See, now, for me, I mean, now granted, I was a little kid when I was living in the town I grew up in, but the setting in the movie of the small town, very reminiscent of of the town I grew up in. I think that's it had, exactly what they went yeah, for. Like, yeah, like it's something completely relatable because there's a very large percentage of our population that grew up in a small town that had the houses and the sidewalks and, you know, the hordes of little kids out in their costumes on Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of everybody knows everybody else. Everybody is everybody's neighbor. Yeah. Kind of essentially that small town feel. Right, and I think that's part of what the, the natural unease of this film lends itself to is the fact that this is supposed to be Halloween in this safe little town where people don't even notice a guy standing around in a jumpsuit and a William Shatner mask. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm pretty like oblivious, but I'd like to think I'd notice that. So flash forward 15 years later, and we've got Dr. Loomis and his nurse friend driving their station wagon. And they come upon, and it's, it's oh, such a cool scene. image, basically illuminated by only the headlights we see a fenced-in area and just a handful of people in their hospital gowns just walking the grounds, aimlessly just meandering on the grounds. And clearly, the inmates are out. Yes. And Loomis immediately puts together that this means Michael has escaped. He also further postulates that he's heading back to Haddonfield, where it all began. And it's Halloween night, incidentally. So it kind of works out perfectly. Yeah. Now, a couple questions. For example, 
did Michael learn how to drive? Is that something, like, a skill he learned? I mean, I guess he drives a car. He does drive a car. And I get that, and I mean, maybe I'm just saying that because I've been driving for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knows that you put your foot on the gas pedal and you steer with the steering wheel. Like, it wasn't like he drove away in perfect fashion. Like, he wasn't required to do a K-turn. You know, he didn't have to parallel park. (laughs) And we know this is bad news. So now we then go to Haddonfield where we meet our heroine, our final girl du jour, the scream queen herself, uh, one Miss Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. She just plays that virginal, but I don't want to be, good girl, but maybe I can be a little bad. Like, she plays that balance of she's not perfectly perfect. And I like that she feels like a bit removed from her friends. Like, I feel her isolation as a human being. Like, I I don't know if maybe I'm reading too much into it, but after I meet her friends, and I cannot wait to talk about them in a minute, because, oh, Annie. Um, I think that she's, she's a little different. I feel like she's somehow removed, maybe even a little, like, sad and lonely, you know? Like, she has a crush. It's also innocent and sweet, but it's also making her divided from the rest of these girls who apparently know how to party on a on a night also i'm just gonna throw this out there she's the only good babysitter in the lot she really is like, and she's a great babysitter there is i'd hire her like it's it's so it's such a sincere need to i mean yeah someone's coming after you got to take care of yourself but that instantly turns on Oh, crap, there's two kids that I'm looking after. One of them she shouldn't even be looking after because her slutty friend dumped her on her. Seriously, if I had a nickel. But she instantly turns on the go get help, go call 911, get out of the house. Yes, she protects She protects the children. And I think that, if I may bring my feminist rantings into it for a moment, I think that this is such a perfect moment to talk about the strength of the maternal. Because so often I feel as though, especially in horror, the maternal is seen as either one of two things. It's either the wicked or the weak. And in this movie, her instinct to protect those kids is part of her strength. It's where she gets a lot of her audacity from. And her desire to, to live and fight him is so hand in hand with this kind of maternal instinct to protect those kids that I think that it does a good job of turning the trope of the mother as either the old hag out to get you or the maternal being what gets you killed into a maternal instinct being part of what makes you brave. And I love that. Yeah. That's my PSA for for feminism. Because I, I listen to a lot of these horror podcasts and I feel as though so often they equate the maternal with a sign of weakness. And as a mom... And a badass. Yeah. I object. I'm not really a badass. You're a little bit Only badass. in my own mind. <laughs> um, you know what, though? You know what I mean? Like, to add on to that, if I can add one more can uh, add one more layer everything. of, you know, wicked, weak, crazy a oh, lot. Yeah. Well, mother, that I am, though. Mother, mother a lot of times cray, cray. there's there's some kind of mental unbalanced with the mother figure. I, I can shed some insight on that. <laughs> You're like, um children it's because yeah <laughs> it's i'll because- tell you why moms are crazy because of children <laughs> <laughs> no you're right though we're always yeah. batty and granted my kids literally drive me crazy yeah but i mean you're right we're either crazy weak or yeah they're really you know wicked. i don't i she she does a really really good job and i gotta be honest tommy's annoying so even more of a tip of my hat to her yeah when you can handle the annoying, she mm. reins him in. When he's like, we're going to call the pumpkin. Mm. We're going to read the story. Mm. We're going to do this. Oh, I'm scared of the boogeyman. Uh. Look, he's right outside the door. 
Yeah. And I mean, like, granted, he's right. He was right. You know, Nobody like, Tommy. no one believes poor Tommy. I Tommy, Tommy you know, he was one of the fair. only ones like, hey, he's right there. Right. And, you Tommy know. Tommy saw him, was the only Laura, other person. She, you know, he confirms what she is thinking in her head, what maybe she hasn't quite said out loud. She sees him when she's at school. He's there. She sees him standing by the bushes. I love the scenes where he's and, just lurking. And nobody else notices him. Yeah. She, it's like but the blindness she notices of the burbs. him. Her friends are like, no, it's not yeah, true. Yeah, they bust her chops. But then when Tommy sees him, she turns around. It's not real. There's nobody there. That part always fascinated me. That he they, they don't believe Tommy. It's yeah. like the kid doesn't They didn't have believe friends. her. And like, call like, me crazy, but I've seen a dude all day. And somebody's like, yo, I just saw the boogeyman. I'd be like, all right, let's check this out. Yeah, let's no, scooby-doo. Yeah. Go get the van. Let's investigate. But while we're at it, let's talk about her and her friends. So interesting fact is that John Carpenter asked Deborah Hill to write the dialogue between Lori, Annie, and Linda because he wanted it to feel like authentic high school girl chit chat. And I gotta tell you, if this is what authentic girl chit chat looked like to Deborah Hill, she must have had some craptastic friends. Yeah, can I just put it out there? Um, fuck you, Annie. <laughs> it feels good. It does. If I gotta get it out. Annie, oh, God damn it. Because you're seriously, you're asshole. just. Yeah, you know what? If nowadays, she would wind up in the principal's office, they'd hib her. That bullying is a crime. I mean, like, she, she's like, a why? jerk. Why? Are you okay, such a bitch? At least Linda has some redeeming Barely. Quality. Other than bringing the pot, she has very few but redeeming like, qualities. She's straight up no, yeah. mean. Annie. Annie. Or Annie. Linda. Yeah. Annie. Annie is mean. Annie is uh, vapid. Annie is just. Like, oh my there's God. no redeeming qualities. When I tell you that. The dialogue between them makes my skin crawl because it's such frenemy. It's like the script, they took a chunk of the script for Mean Girls, yeah. mixed it with little Heathers, and dashed in some 1970s grit and grizzle. Like, and that was the dialogue because these girls were so mean to Lori. And dare I say to the point where when they got killed, I was, I was okay with it. I cheered. I cheered. I cheered. I mean, well, the scene, I, Linda's death still gives me goosebumps because of the whole sheet thing, but. What, what benefit does she get out of being friends with them? Like, are they huh. the popular girls and well, she's isn't more one, Yeah, isn't popular? Annie a cheerleader? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. Should, me neither. Should we should probably, we should, we should get our shit together. But I but like, no you know, like, there's clue. What, no, not what clue. benefit is she getting but out think, of being But think friends? about it. You have to admit that at least some point, be it middle school, high school, whenever, you were, I was a victim of the mean girls who treated me like shit, but I still acted like they were my friends. I was absolutely guilty of putting up with that shit. Especially when it's like someone, it's, I think it's one of those transitional things where it's somebody from... You know, when you're, let's just say you have a neighbor and you and your neighbor have been friends since right. you were little kids because you're a neighbor. And now you're in middle school and your best friend neighbor suddenly is a little different or a little weird. And suddenly your friends don't like your neighbor and you want to stay friends with your friends. So now you start making fun of your neighbor who used to be your best friend. Like oh, it's that kind of dynamic. I mean, it happens every single day, Absolutely. every single new school year. So maybe, I mean, maybe it is more realistic than we want to own up to. Like mm -hmm. maybe Deborah Hill really hit the nail on the head with these like horrible frenemy friends. I don't know. Annie is just Annie's the terrible. worst. She really is. You know what? And what a it's wish. just some of the things that she says. 
Yeah. Well, what just, about when she makes fun of her and acts like she's talking to, to the boogeyman? And it was like, I fooled you. The, the nitpicking, you know, making fun. Let's make fun of the smart girl. Let's make yeah. fun of. Let's make fun of her JCPenney wardrobe. Oh, wait. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, being the champ she was, goes to JCPenney and buys her own wardrobe for this film. How about well, you them know apples? What? Probably smart on her behalf smart on the producer's behalf because you've got a movie that takes place over the course of a single day yeah so really and in the burbs where you one would wear jc penny arizona brand jeans oh absolutely i still i might have them on right now hang on let me check (laughs) so yeah so okay so annie right so very quick long story short they start the babysitting she starts her babysitting gig her friends come over they're drinking. They're smoking the pot. And then they all break off to go have uh, relations with these guys, right? Mm-hmm. And Lori gets dumped. All the kids get dumped on her. Yeah. Like, Jesus. So Lori sees the boogeyman throughout most of her day. And she's the only one who sees him. And she doesn't think too much into it, which kudos to her, because I would definitely be thinking I'm in the midst of a nervous breakdown. Yeah. But she goes to her babysitting gig, and she, there she is joined by these friends and you can't see me right now but i'm doing the quotation there's there's air quotes (laughs) there are air quotes abound and they go off they do their drinking and smoking as teenagers do and this really kind of develops this whole trope of if you do the sex in if you do the drinking if you do the smoking you die yeah but Lori does do a little puff puff pass she does and you know what but what i love in that scene is they're in the car, Annie's driving, Lori's in the passenger seat, and they light up a joint. And Annie takes a puff, and she takes it like a pro. She passes it to Lori. She is pro. Lori takes a puff, coughs up a storm, she's making funny faces. It It's clearly, she oh, does not smoke a whole lot. She, you know, may be doing it because she wants to look cool in front of Annie. You know, she, she, it's just clear that this is not something she does often because she hacks up a lung and she, you know, it's, it's That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so she still has some of her purity. She, she really does, you know, and cause you don't want to make them so pure and so virginal, although to a degree, and this is like a direct quote, I got to find it when, when Lori is talking about the boy that she likes, I forget Ben whatever oh right yeah, yeah she talks about the boy that she likes so you do like that kind of stuff yeah or like, like that, right? annie literally say? says so you do think about things like that like what teenage girl isn't thinking about things like that but clearly Lord. you know this is not something that she opens up to her friends about rightfully so because they belittle her for yeah, everything else like bitches. you know and Lori even says at one point when she's walking with our friends that well yeah i'm smart and that's why boys don't like me like, right. take a that's, thousand I mean, steps Louise. backwards. Yeah. Like, like gr- Rosie the Riveter just turned over yeah. in her like, grave. Yeah, you know what? You you are too smart. You know, stop reading so many books. Right. Stop having those Get your thoughts. boobs out. You know. Smoke a dube. Get with the program. So uh, what fascinates me, though, is that I don't know if this is supposed to be a condemnation of this whole, like, drinking, smoking, doing drugs thing, because it seems like such a pervasive trope in the genre that if you do bad things, bad, you are now officially, I mean, to the point where it's been made fun of ad nauseum. Right. But 
Interestingly, this movie really was kind of marketed to females. You had this strong female heroine. You had what was originally supposed to be entitled The Babysitter Murder. So you were trying to like kind of get in on the female perspective. You wanted girls to enjoy this movie while they were at date night, while they were out. And this is kind of when the final girl does evolve. As a trope, this girl that is going to survive because she makes good choices and because she's the cute innocent one and she doesn't show her boobies or smoke a doobies. Then I'm so poetic sometimes. It's fascinating to me to really kind of think about this juxtaposition between we're going to make girls want to watch horror with this really cool heroine, but then we're going to take all the other girls in the films, make them into sluts, and kill them all almost as a sort of punishment for that. Like, John Carpenter, make up your mind. Horror world, make up your mind. Part of me wants to believe that that whole, when you do bad things, you're going to be punished. Part of me wants to believe, like, no. Like, that's not what Carpenter was saying. That's not what he was doing. Like, I want to think he's way cooler than that and way more progressive. I really do, too. But at the same time, like, that that hadn't... That wasn't a trope at the time. No. That wasn't an established thing the way it is now. This was 1978. That was not... An established... But he makes that choice. Like, if you look at... And I hate hearkening back to Black Christmas again, but if you look at Black Christmas, those girls are badass. They drink, they smoke, they curse, they have abortions, they do whatever it is that they want to do unapologetically in their sorority house. Like, to the point where they have to, like, cover the wall because it has inappropriate pictures on it when a father comes in. And ironically, the first girl to die is the virgin is like the one who's goody-goody. And they all tease her for being goody-goody. Yeah. And the and the the one who is arguably the biggest, like, I mean, she definitely has all these things going on. She's the final girl. The, the biggest offender is the girl who survives. And, well, I mean, granted, she accidentally blames the wrong guy for the murders, but wow. nonetheless, she survives. I mean, <laughs> no that's one's, splitting No hairs. one's perfect. No <laughs> exactly. One, we've all done that. So it's possible to have a fe- females in a movie and, and characters that don't get punished for... Their behavior, yet John Carpenter really writes this story as the beginning of this whole slasher film where if you're bad, you get punished thing. Yeah. And like you said, like you want to think he's better than that, but there's something about them almost deserving it. Like, I wonder if maybe it made it easier to kill them because... Oh, oh, 100%. Like I said, I I cheered when he wrapped his hands around her neck and started strangling. Thank God. Shut the bitch up. Seriously. So I, I agree. It could be to the point where, you know, you you don't want to feel bad when they die. You make them kind of villainous. And yeah. he absolutely and achieved then, that Interestingly, the, what I find, if you could argue for this movie as a feminist piece, the boys get no personality. They get no character development. They're just jockey little D-bags. And they drink and they smoke and they do all the bad things and they die. And so if anything, maybe you could argue that they get better, like the girls get more attention. Because really, Lori and her friends are the focus of the film. I mean, there's, you know, Linda has her boyfriend. He's on screen, but. Oh, yeah. You know. His kill is one of my favorites. You know, he he comes in, they, you know, make out on the couch. There's a little sex and. Yeah. And then you're dead. And then if we can just jump to that scene. Man, do I love it when he puts on that ghost mask and those glasses. And the fact that he puts the glasses on, I'm fascinated by. Like, you sarcastic son of a bee. Yeah. You have had zero personality. You have said zero. You are pure evil. And you, I'm going to get that down by the end of the episode. And yet you are funny enough to put those goddamn glasses on to fuck with her further. Yeah. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It wasn't easy to do. He's got a busy schedule, especially this time of year. But we'd like to welcome to the show to ask him why he put the glasses on. A one, a Michael Myers. Welcome, Michael. Thank Michael. you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you for you coming so much. out. It's it's huge for us. We are, you know, starting off. This is only our second episode. Yeah, we appreciate and the fate. to have you on is yeah. just. Um, uh, we have so many. I have so many. I have so many questions. So many questions. So many questions. So first, Michael. Yeah. Let's just jump right into it. Why do you kill people? Okay. Next question. If I okay. could ask a follow up. Yeah. No. Let's let's do a um, follow up. Do you think that maybe putting on the glasses was just, you know, poking a stick at your victim? Okay. Okay. All right. I Thank mean, you. Um, anything else you'd like to say to the 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 fans? Yeah. Okay, well he's yeah. not really He's okay. Not very not very no. loquacious, are you? No. That's and that's fine. That's it's fine. okay. You can hang out. This movie, one of the big themes that really comes up is masks. And not only does he wear the clown mask with the big giant phallic, he wears the William Shatner distorted mask, of course, which becomes so iconic. And then he also wears the the spooky, just the sheet just with the his sheet. eyes cut yeah. out. And, of course, the glasses on top. So my question is, is it the mask that he needs to hide behind to commit these crimes? Why put a mask on if you're a crazy sociopath who doesn't give two hoots what the world is like who won't interact with society in any meaningful way. Why wear the mask? What is the mask a symbol of? Hmm. I think Michael's really afraid. I think he is too. I think there's a lot of fear and that's why you're going to cover your face. He doesn't kill without being in disguise. Maybe he doesn't like who he is. And when he puts on a mask, he can be somebody different hmm. and he can justify his kill. I didn't do it. I had a mask on. I'm somebody else. Yeah, it's almost like having having a mask kind of gives him the strength he needs to do what he has to do. And we all love hiding our identity. I mean, it's why we dress up. It's why we put those masks on and go out trick-or-treating. It's Me, why? so that they don't know I'm a grown woman underneath yeah. there. But for most people, they do it to hide. Like, we love hiding ourselves. And then to get even deeper, this idea that we're all really wearing masks all day long, metaphorically speaking, is another fascinating layer to this whole thing. Because I have to be honest, looking at this film for themes, I feel like I was grasping at straws. And I'll find a theme in anything. I mean, short of this idea of masking ourselves and to to do what our deepest, darkest desires are is definitely there. But... And maybe some inventions of tropes that, for better or worse, have pervaded horror. But I don't know. I felt like, at the end of the day, it's a slasher flick. The other thing to consider is the lack of gore in this movie. For as violently as he kills some people, there is not a drop of blood. Not you know, one. He is stabbing people. He is lifting people. P.S. Superhuman strength. Like, if we can just talk about Michael himself for a second. Yeah. And super, damn hard to kill. Super human strength. Like, are you, do they lift, is it like jail where they lift weights all day? Is that what he does at the asylum? Because he is learning, literally. After he learns how to drive. Yes, after, after the driving. And how to cut holes in sheets to make ghosts. Yes. Wait, did the guy do that or did he do that? <laughs> I forget. No, but he literally, he's lifting a man with one hand. Mm. He, he is he picking like somebody up by the neck. He lifts him off the ground and he stabs him with enough force to keep, body, to keep the body elevated. Body. He has this super I mean, human strength. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I, I mean, I didn't pay attention in anatomy class, but I'd imagine that is difficult to do. It's got to be. And he, like I said, he almost has like a Wolverine-esque Ooh, yeah. healing power. Yeah. You know, because what? He is 
Stab in the chest, mm-hmm. stab in the neck. Mm-hmm. He is poked in the eye with a poked, uh, yeah, poked in the eye with the hanger again. And we <clears throat> see the the phallic coming yeah. through again. Where every time one of them is doing something to the <clears throat> other, short of Doctor Loomis, it's always a penetration, and it's a penetration of the body that, to me, all ties back to this kind of like Oedipal thing. Michael's mm-hmm. going on. He's obsessed with this woman who, and actually, John Carpenter said he regrets the fact that Laurie turns out to be. His sister. Really? Like he wishes he could erase that from the film mm. history because he said that with that, Michael now has a real motive. And that's not what the boogeyman's supposed to be. The boogeyman's supposed to thematically yeah. be He's something just that just comes an and wrecks. Evil yep, and, and ne- you never yeah. know why. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that Laurie does wind up being his sister. In, yeah. Is it the second one where that's revealed? I believe. Yeah. I don't and remember. And there's that one that has nothing to do with Michael Myers. Oh, don't get me I started. That one. Don't get me so, started on three. Such a good guilty pleasure so watch. So disappointed the first time I saw Season that. Season of the Witch. Dude, that and I would be that, singing that all night. And, and I only paid on seven Halloween seconds of for guys. On <laughs> Halloween night, that's the commercial that plays that all the kids with the silver shamrock masks, Go their heads explode and the bugs in the home. I'm going to try playing it from my speakers as I drive around with my kids on <laughs> Halloween night getting treats. See what happens. Yeah. Just for fun. But yeah, I was so disappointed because I had never seen Halloween 3 and I rented oh, yeah, it and I was like, yeah, Michael Myers. And I'm no, like, where? No Michael Myers. Paul Rudd. Where? Right? But no Michael no, Myers. No, Paul Rudd is further down. Oh, uh, is he? Okay. He's, he's. But somewhere between, somewhere between 3 and like LL Cool J, right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I want to uh, say. Is LL in one of these? LL is in H2O. I'm glad that I got to bring LL Don't Cool J up again. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Because I think we go from... Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. After three, I think that's... I think four is like the return or the curse. And that's yeah, where that one brings it back Daniel to Harris is the little girl. And yep. it turns out that she's his niece. And then the right, and then yada, fifth yada, one where she's in the right. hospital yeah. or some home for and kids. Then and then Jamie Lee Curtis and they smooch. And then, yeah, it's a thing. And then they get on the Titanic. It's weird. Go, Never let go. No, right. And all kinds of... Oh, the, it takes a turn there. No, wait. I might, I might be getting that confused yeah, with something I think else. we've digressed so far. <laughs> what were we even talking can we please start the episode with that no one's gonna sue us <laughs> famous last words they're gonna use that in court there's gonna be a against cease, me cease and desist letter from fucking from silver shamrock silver shamrock silver company, shamrock company which is you cease and desist. that's my favorite part of it i think you gotta watch how much I play. I don't want to. I don't want to get sued. All right. So yes, we've digressed. <laughs> what? It's it's. You know, groundskeeper Willie in the episode from the shitting when he goes, "Quiet, boy. You want to get sued?" <laughs> I can't do a Scottish accent at all. <laughs> so that's my groundskeeper Willie. It could be. It could be a tag for the show. <laughs> Quiet, boy. <laughs> You want to get sued? So one other thing we absolutely have to talk about, Jackie, is the final girl trope. Now, this was coined and popularized by Carol Clover in her 1992 book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. An awesome read. Yeah. I've got it on my Amazon wish list. Nice. Lola yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. If you're listening. You know what to do. Um, basically, it, it's defined as a girl who survives 
in order to then defeat whatever bad force is in the film. Now, a lot of people have criticized this film because they point out that technically speaking, it is Loomis who comes in and saves Laurie from Michael Myers. But my argument is, just like Laurie, he fails in his attempt yeah. to, to kill Michael. So he's no better or worse off. Yeah. And it's about time he freaking did something useful. Obviously, he sucks as a psychiatrist. What do you think? I mean, does she is she a good final girl? I think she's a decent enough final girl, but I mean, final girl is going to be a really loosely hung title on her because she, you know, she is that virginal girl. She's the smart one. You know, she she falls into the category. She, you know, like you can tick off all of the qualities of her that make her a final girl. Yes. But, but is like, she like you're saying, a badass? I'm going to kind of skip ahead here because I'm going to say she's badass in the sense of she didn't fall apart. She okay. did what she had to do, but she wouldn't have been the final girl because had Loomis not come in and started to shoot him up, then he would have continued to have his hands around her neck and he would have strangled her yeah. as his superhuman strength has right. already been displayed. But, I mean, can she really be the final girl when the big band really wasn't defeated? Like, right, he didn't right. die. There was no right. defeat, because per se. Because, of course, there was where John Carpenter was trying to be artsy and say the boogeyman disappeared. Just like he came, he's gone. Yeah. The rest of society took that as let's make yeah. a million sequels. But when you think about it, and you look at it, because I'm looking at a list of fi famous final girls. Think about, like, Sally from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She gets away only because the dude in the pickup truck happens to swing by. And she gets away... Maniacally. Like, she, okay, you didn't die, you live. You lost but your you, shit yeah, you, you're gonna, you, Your but mind is gone. to be fair, I like that the final girl... I like it when the final girl's unhinged at the end. Like, even in Black Christmas and in Everything so many of these... go through... Like, Sydney and Scream, like, they all get jacked up from what they went through because that's what... I mean... That's reality. If you were the real final girl, you'd be in the, the ward, too. Everything that you go through when you are the final girl, it's a maze that you come out un unscathed to not come out with some sort of... And I think Scream did it really, really well, where you took a girl that already had a little bit of tragedy in her life, you put her through... Even the more. mass murder, mm -hmm. and, and while she she's strong, you know, and she is badass, but look, you know, in the second movie, and especially in the third, where she's got security systems up the wazoo, yeah, and yeah, she has all trust badass. issues, and it, it damaged her psychologically. That chick is going to have trust issues forever because of what she went through. So yeah, you lived, but what's your quality of life? And... Interestingly, we could all, we could even trace this all the way back to Janet Lee's portrayal of uh, Marion in Psycho, because Jamie Lee's mom, she really kind of didn't survive. Like she was the final girl who was supposed to survive and didn't, and that's what like turned the whole thing on its head. And what I think, if I can expand Clover's theory about the fact that we create this girl who is becomes the heroine in order to make the horror accessible to the female, I think it speaks to. The fact that at the end of the day, being a woman is still to this day a trauma in and of itself. I know that that's a bold statement, but I think in a lot of ways, this whole, the girl who survives some serious crazy stuff and comes out the other side is really a statement on what, you know, how trying it really is to be female in, in our world, especially in places other than America, if I may be so bold. And okay, speaking from a place where I have no knowledge, but look at childbirth. Look at what your body has to go through. Like you, 
you incubate this person and you make a person and then you expel them from your body in, again, can't speak from experience, don't have kids, but if you weren't in the hospital setting, quite a violent, you know, expulsion of another person from your really tender parts. Like, I don't know, like, ugh, it's gotta suck. There, I think there is no bigger horror. And I've done it twice. I can vouch for it. There's there's few things in life that are as hor- horrifying as the act of giving birth. But what's interesting is, like, like, not to get all metaphorical about it, but that being the hardest thing you go through, but then you have this, like, you did it. You made a life. Like, you... Yeah. It's, like, such a badass feeling. It yeah. really is. You're like, boom! As, I did it. This is like the ultimate mic drop. Oh my gosh, the yeah. Baby, the baby if drop. I may be so bold, if I may be so bold, I would argue yeah. that the ultimate mic no, drop that's... in my life has been giving birth twice. But when you talk about trauma, gore, and horror, and my husband who was there could, could vouch for this, there was a whole lot of it in that room. I can imagine. Yeah. I'm so It was so like a afraid. Dario Argento film. <laughs> so with Michael having this apparently... Superhuman strength. Right. Michael has a healing ability, or if not a healing ability, he's just unfazed by pain or unfazed by puncture yes. wounds. He is shot. Uh, not shot. He is... He is shot. Is, he, he is shot. Yeah, he's he is shot. shot six times. He gets stabbed mm-hmm. multiple times in multiple All parts of multiple his body. Points. Shot, stabbed, fell from a second story window, like onto directly onto his back. He didn't yeah, brace for that fall. Yeah. He... This is the moment where they look and he's gone, yeah? I don't know. This bothers me. So Loomis, bang, 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 bang. Six shots. I don't know if that was six bangs. You you counted. Nice. So he, he shoots him six times. He falls out the window, lands on his back. You know, Loomis makes sure that Laurie is okay. And because he, he was pure evil. He was pure evil. And he goes out to the window and looks out the broken window and <gasps> Michael is gone. And Loomis the just... The man is gone. So Loomis just stares blankly at this, like, empty space That's in the front right, yeah. lawn. Like, dude, and go run after him. Like I said, you're, he, you're largely responsible for this to begin like, with, the Loomis. the look on his face is like, well... Lost that one. Like, it's almost kind of like yeah. a give up thing. I'm yeah, like, you like, have ah, been... shucky darns, lost him again. <laughs> like, you have been chasing this man yeah. all over hell and creation. Screaming you... at everybody about how dangerous he is. And and so, like, the movie just ends with his kind of like, well, <laughs> he got away. It's a solid like, point. And, okay, so, so here's where I kind of go into, like, did he lose hope? Did he give up? Did he think, okay, I need to regroup and go find him? We don't know because the movie kind of ends with, boom, done. Yeah, Michael's it's a very, gone. Ju- like, end, like, yeah, it just ending. ends. And was, like, were the producers thinking, oh, don't worry, we'll explain more in Halloween 2? Had they no, planned on I Halloween 2? I don't think they planned on Carpenter, I think, has been stated with, he doesn't like Halloween 2. No. I, in fact, he hates the rest of the series. I don't mind Halloween 2 because Halloween 2 literally picks up immediately right. after the first one. Like, Loomis comes running out of the house, sees the cops, and he's like, he's gone. He's out there. We got to find him. Right. He's he on like, the loose. Right, he gets as like, frantic as he should And be. it picks up the story immediately. See, if I could play devil's advocate, I don't like these sequels. And there's two reasons why. First of all, it, they over-explain everything about Michael. And Lori and the niece and the nephew and the third cousin's barber's sister's uncle. Like it, it just mansplains everything. And it over like it it sucks all the boogeyman out of him and it makes him comical in a way. And then of course, because with the sequels come all of the crap 
like all of the bad versions, like H2O and all that stuff. Yeah. So it, to me, like, I would love to see if this movie stood on its own legs without four, four or five sequels. I can respect the second one, and I do like that it picks up where it left off, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't like the way it takes away all the mystique of the boogeyman. Keep the boogeyman, the creepy guy who tilts his head and kills people for no good reason, and it's just pure evil. Because to me, yeah. that's scarier than, let me over-explain this whole thing. I, I like your point about how, you know, he's gone. He Inexplicably, he's gone. Just how he kind of showed up out of nowhere, he now goes away. You know, when the sun comes up, the boogeyman's always gone. When the sun comes up, you're safe again. When, when you're a little kid. over. Yeah, all when you're a little kid, away. as soon as the sun comes up, it's fine. No matter what monsters are That's under right. your bed. And on Halloween, you, you wake up the next morning and all of that magic and mystique and mystery is gone. And if you're in my house, the Christmas decorations Yeah, I was going to say, out. and that's when my, you know, Lola starts playing <laughs> Christmas too. tunes. She has a stack of Christmas CDs, like just different like compilations things that sure. she loves. No, that's what I call Christmas. She keeps them in her car and she listens to them on heavy rotations. That's awesome. She doesn't care about what time of year it is. Yeah, because good for it's, her. Yeah, she loves her Christmas music. I, I have to take this opportunity while we're speaking about Lola. To also give a shout out to my mom, a one Rosie, Rosie Baloney, as my girls like to call her, because she was very offended by my joke in our previous episode that she wasn't going to listen to the podcast. (laughs) So this is my way of making sure that she actually listens to this one, too, because my theory is she probably listened to like the first five minutes, fast forwarded and then got to the end in credits. And then she was like, see, I watched her podcast. But the truth of the matter is she is one of our biggest fans and she's been liking everything and commenting. Yeah. And it's especially noble of her because she fucking hates horror. Does like she? Well, I mean, not all horror, but like some stuff really creeps her out. Like I asked her if she'd be a guest on our Exorcist one because she's so terrified of that movie. Like it can't even play in the same house she's in. Oh, dang. Yeah. So she's got like all these weird phobic things with horror, but she really was one of the big forces that introduced me to horror. So just a little shout out. What's up, mom? Thanks for listening. So let's let's dive into the remake. And I'm going to throw out there and to heck with it. I am a Rob Zombie fan. I think he's had his misses, Lords of Salem. But I am. Really? Because I I haven't seen that that one. No, I haven't seen it, but I've wanted to see it. Yeah. I mean, watch it. For what it is, it's interesting. But and I just watched the one with the clowns. Don't remember half of it, but it was decent. Okay. Um, Although that's not exactly a stark raving uh, review. But I like Rob Zombie's take on Halloween, which is ironic because I just bashed the idea of over-explaining Michael. Yeah. But and man, I like what he did with that. Yeah. Like the mom killing herself with grief and Michael in the institution and he's, you know, making masks all day long and he smashes his buddy and then he goes to find his sister and I don't know. And then, but once he gets out, it sucks. Yeah. But it was all of that backstory that I loved. Yeah, so I'm a total you know hypocrite, what? But. I'm, I work in the mental health field. Okay. And all of my clients in my day program have once been in the hospital. And some of my guys, especially some of my older guys, spent years institutionalized. And seeing the bad behavior of the orderlies and things like that... I can't help. I I know for a fact it, it that you it, it just it does because I think of I think of my clients at work. I don't ever want to think that anything bad has ever happened to them, but mm-hmm. especially the ones that have been you know ha- had been in 
you know, state hospitals in the 50s and in the 60s Yikes. and in the 70s. Like, I know of one of our clients that has no teeth because they were removed because he kept um, biting the doctors during shock treatment. So they just solved that problem by taking his teeth out. Wow. I mean, now granted, this was like 1962. Like, this was back in the day, you know, and not to say that horrible practices don't happen still, because I'm sure they probably do. And not to say that every... Every person's experience was terrible. I'm sure there are, are plenty of people that were very, very caring nurses and orderlies and doctors and things like that. But I, I, it's just it's a personal thing when I see any movie portraying things like that. It just I, I instantly think of my guys at work and I'm just like, I hope none of them have gone through anything like that. So that's just like a personal weird thing for no, me. No, that, that like, I mean, it makes sense. It's like it kind of t- it yeah. hits it hits an, it hits a chord for me. Like it, it's it's. It's tough because, you know, no, I, there's, I mean, there's I, good ones and there's bad ones. Yeah. And I just want to think that my guys at my center have never experienced the bad that ones. Kind of but hard. you never know. You never know. Wow. You just got real. I got super real. Um, I feel yeah. I'm a teacher. If there's one group that are portrayed as a bunch of no-talent hack clowns in the media, television, and film, it's teachers. And I don't know why. But so I totally understand where you're coming from there. And I think that's legit. But I, I mean, I give him credit. For what he tried to do. The second one is a piece of garbage. His second one. I don't think I saw the second oh, one. don't waste an hour and a half. Of your okay, life. I won't. But um, the first one, I, I thought, had some interesting yeah. moments. And I have to say, I'm a sucker for Sherry Moon Zombie in the roles that she plays that are kind of just herself, only a little more fancy. You know, yeah. like, I think she does a good job of playing, like, a struggling single mother who... You know. Yeah. You know. No, like I said, like it, like that. Those scenes, like I said, like there's there's going to be scenes in every movie that are you know they're going to get everybody in some way. You know, if there's like a suicide in a movie and you know someone, you have been affected by someone. Like it's just things like it's that. Just like, like there's weird always going to be. Yeah. There's always going to be that. But aside from that, it wasn't bad. It was interesting to see his take on Michael. The, the Michael that we didn't see, because in the original Halloween, you know, we you know we see little kid Michael, and then the next thing we see is you know big grown up Michael right. killing people. Yep. He filled in the gap in between, I which was so an too. interesting take, you know. Yep. But you know, I respect zombie. I mean, I love House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Like, I will put them. I will. Yeah. I will stand up for those films every time. No, those I I do very much enjoy them. But yeah. Um, I didn't hate it. It was it was one of those movies where I think I saw it in the movie theater and I saw the movie theater cool. If it was on Netflix, I, yeah, I wouldn't probably down. would watch it again, but it's not a movie that I'm going to actively seek out. Okay. Um recently AMC is running their their Fear, fear Fest and I saw that Halloween was on, got pumped up and recorded it. Only to find out <laughs> that it was the Rob Zombie. Yeah, I look at you every time. Immediately deleted it. I didn't watch it. Like that's how my, you know. Like I said, I've seen it. I can check it off my list. I've seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. I can move on with my life. I I think that this film is an important one in the genre, but I also think that like so many of the films we we love, it's it's just it's good. But if I look at all the films that we have covered over the past thirty one days this would be the furthest from number one for me. Or at least oh, one yeah. of the furthest. No, this one, this one's up there. And part of me wants to put it up there because... Because it's John Carpenter. Be, because right. it's John Carpenter. But like, Carpenter's I Halloween. would argue, and this is, again, I think going to be something scandalous to any true fan. I just moved my chair, sorry. I would argue that his version of Assault on Precinct 13 is better. Maybe not necessarily horror in its purest form, mm-hmm. but what a movie. Yeah. You know? And I would, I would argue that... 
Carpenter's had a lot of flops since then, too. Because what did he do? He did The Mist? No, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. thing. Also 10 times a better movie than Halloween. Yeah, The Thing I love. The Thing is sick, right? I love. And years later, it still so holds up and is scary and Kurt Russell-y and, you know. But I don't know. So I think to to conclude. Yeah. um, To wrap up. In conclusion. (laughs) No. Yeah. So to wrap things up. Yeah. To wrap up. To wrap up our our, our Our 31 days. Yeah. To wrap up the 31 days of horror. If you haven't seen any of these movies, go out and do so. Because they're all legitimately worth the watch. So tune in next time when we will be covering a Thanksgiving classic. One that has been so important to the horror film canon. One of the biggest classics of all time. This film is like the It's a Wonderful Life of Thanksgiving. Nay, it's like the Christmas story meets Elf meets every good Hallmark movie of Christmas. This is how important this film is to Thanksgiving. And its name, of course... That's the dramatic pause. Wait for it. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a giant piece of crap. Yeah, no, it's terrible. We have a little treat for you next month. Apparently, Jackie did some research and found out that the biggest drinking day in all of the calendar year is the day before Thanksgiving. Indeed. My theory on this is it's because I have to put up with my family. Mom, you don't, not you. Everybody else, not Everybody you. Else, no. And not you, Joe. You're listening to. And not I think you. that also stems from. Definitely Matt. College kids. Because they're oh, out. That's true, yeah. You know, you know they're out on, yeah. on break I'm not going to tell the story and... of a certain somebody in my family who had to have, like, the police knock down his door Thanksgiving weekend because he was so inebriated that yeah. he... Yeah, don't tell that tell story. That story. Don't. Um, but what I am going to say is, as a treat to you, our loyal listener, as a treat to you, we are going to get what we like to call basic wasted. Like, we're going to drink up a storm. And talk to you about Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's for better or worse. And who knows? Maybe drunk is the way to go. Like, maybe we'll be profoundly good drunk. But yeah. Like, all the good things that come along with getting white girl wasted. And and I got to tell you, I, I'm looking forward to it. I believe that me getting, as you put it, white girl wasted, I'm going to call it Cuban girl wasted. Okay. Is Fair enough. Is bringing us to the next level because it's the only way I could think of to survive that movie. So we want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been so much fun. It's our second episode. We are up and running. You can find our blog at jerseyghouls.com. You can find us on iTunes. Guys, our podcasts are out there. Please go to iTunes. You can search for Jersey Ghouls. Our stuff is going to come up. And fans, please, 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 if you like what you've heard, even just a little bit, please give us a nice review, a good rating. It is so important to our ability to get out there to the masses that people review what they have heard. You can also find us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash Jersey Ghouls. We are on Twitter. Just search for Jersey Ghouls on Twitter. We've got stuff coming out all the time. We are loving what we are doing, and we're so excited to have you guys on this journey with us. And we promise you it's only going to get better. It is. We are going to keep the the Not including the one where we get wasted. That one's not going to be better. But we're going to make progress after that. No, getting getting white girl wasted is just going to be... That's just a treat for you guys. Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. Merry fucking Christmas. That's right. It's a gift that keeps on giving all year long. And we are very thrilled to be putting ourselves out there and be bringing you fresh content that goes well beyond just the best horror movies. We plan... We have a lot of big things brewing. Yeah. 
So we've got a lot planned for the coming months. It's not just about horror movies. We are covering the genre as a whole. We have got some awesome things upcoming. There is going to be a night where we play the game Atmosphere, which was a redone version of Nightmare. If you've played the VHS board game Nightmare, they updated it to a DVD version. So we're gonna be playing Atmosphere. We're gonna get Marissa to play Magic. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm gonna be an elf. As a, you want to be an elf? I can get you an elf tribal deck. Yeah. I'd like to be Pinhead. There are Cenobites. Perfect. Actually, one of my favorites is I actually have an EDH deck that has a grand Cenobite as my commander. Um, your geek is coming out. <laughs> no, I think sorry. you might want to tuck it back in. It's a little embarrassing. We have a lot of awesome things coming up for you guys in the months ahead. We are going to be playing with a Ouija board. We're going to have a special guest for the Ouija board. Oh, are we? We are. I haven't told you yet, but a one Miss Aubrey, it will be phoning in from North Carolina where she has been playing around with the mystic. And I also am really stoked to bring a special Christmas episode because what I want to do is I want to do the 12 days of Jersey Ghouls Christmas, Mm -hmm. leading up to a really good discussion on what makes Christmas themed horror movies so freaking scary. Okay. Okay. Because I don't know about you, but I am terrified of Christmas horror movies. It's just a little thing. And I'd like to dive into that. We want to give a a special thank you. We have recently been promoting ourselves on Facebook and we have gotten likes from people that don't know us. Yes. From people that are not our friends or family. And that we're not paying to listen. Yeah. Like complete strangers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hello, complete strangers. We love you. Thank you so much for taking the time to look through our content. Spread the word. So to end our night, I'd like to invite everyone to check out our Facebook page where we are running a very special contest in which we are giving away a horror pack of goodies to celebrate the end of the season and all you have to do to win it is comment your favorite horror movie and then say when we get to 100 likes we pick a winner so please make sure you're sharing us share us on social media make sure you share us on itunes give a shout out to us anywhere anytime you can and you could be a winner as soon as we get to 100 likes we are going to draw a random winner and they are going to win a horror themed prize pack so share our facebook with your friends make sure you're putting the word out there and keep listening everybody Thank you guys so much for your support. To our friends and family that like us on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes, thank you so much. To those that don't know us, thank you so, so much for giving us a chance. Welcome into our wonderful, crazy, silly, adventurous world of the Jersey Ghouls. We are so, so happy to have you here. Give us, give us some, you know, give us some love. Tell us who you are. We want to know about you. Please send us your questions. I'd love to have a Q and A. Oh, that would that be, be so much. That fun. would be awesome. Give us your ideas. What kind of podcast well, do you want to hear? What kind of things would you like us to review? Be it a movie, be it a game, be it toys. You know, let's let's talk. Please reach out to us because we would love to hear about you. We love meeting new people, and we love this horror community. That, that's out there. We just want to be a part of it and we just want to keep having fun with you guys. And happy Halloween. Have a safe and and happy...
You're still talking. I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw out. Have Fuck. A, have right. a safe and have Relax. a safe. Relax. You're doing a fucking a PSA now. Have a safe. Uh, make sure you wear your reflective gear. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you wear your gear and don't eat that candy to mommy. To mommy checks in because the hippies. <laughs> it's the, I thought it was the old people. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's poisoning the food. That's another episode idea that we can stop recording. Yeah, we can stop recording. Um, you can say you're have a safe and happy if you want. No, fuck you very much. We're done. <laughs> Second and final episode. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 